Blog Talk Radio. This is Batman, one T. And you, like any good citizen, are listening to the Retro Cool Nerd Palcast. Quick, not one moment to lose. Turn up your dial. Meanwhile, just outside of Gotham City. Citizens of Gotham, and welcome back to the Retro Cool Nerd Podcast. I am the Retro Cool Nerd, Jimmy the Gent, broadcasting from my secluded study located deep inside the walls of Stately Wayne Manor. Hopefully you might recognize me as one of the co-hosts of the Saturday Morning Serial Podcast. So thanks again for following me over here to my celebration of the original 66 Batman TV show that I grew up with. You can follow me at at SD Batman 66 on the Twitters and Instagrams, and also at RetroCoolNerd. Also check out RetroCoolNerd.com. I want to say thanks for your patience, and in some small way, it's been rewarded in a new episode. This ever-evolving landscape that we find ourselves in has had its unique challenges for everyone, so I hope that you are doing well. I know everyone is doing their best, whatever that is, and I'm trying to do mine. My mission is to get this schedule under control and eventually bring you plenty of more groovy content on a more regular basis, with more surprises from the 66 universe and beyond. Today's show is something special. We're going to expand our conversation a little bit, and uh, this episode we're going to talk to someone that is a little big get for our humble podcast, so I felt the conversation deserved more than just his thoughts on the Batman 66 universe. But don't worry, we're going to get there. This one has been a long time coming, We recorded this interview back in the dog days of summer, and for various reasons, both in and out of my control, it has taken me quite some time to get this episode together. But I think you're really going to enjoy this one, and the conversation is pretty special. And now a man who needs no introduction, so I won't. I am Prince Balin. Fartag told me of your efforts against the usurper who tried to claim my father's throne. We need a strong leader now, someone who can stand up to the assembly, someone who will rule, not persuade. They know Orzammar is divided now and has no time for them. It's made them bold. If I show the city I can eliminate such a threat, well, let's just say my position would be stronger. So much for the pirate treasures. We don't care about that stuff. Uh, but a pan was calling on us. You picked wrong, Dark Knight. Riddle me this. What do you call someone who prevented a guard from turning into mincemeat? Answer. Not you, Batman. With him was Rusty Pete, adored by women across the galaxy. Do you even know where we're going? I got GPS. I love this thing. Hanukkah gift from me mom it was. Take cover. There's got to be a better target around here. All right, hold up. Cover me. Hold position. Holding position. Now that's a fire. Light it up, boys, now. Oh, I love that sound. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, what color is the tree? Brown? Not exactly. All colors? Oh, I'm very impressed. You have learned all that you can from me. Go forth into the world with confidence. Doom is one of the smartest people on the planet. He knew the only way past my high-tech security was a surprise mystical attack like this. He took something of mine, and I'd like to know what. Reed, babe, let me go for it. Be careful! Like I always say, uh, I used to have voices in my head, but then I got them all jobs. This gentleman has a long and distinguished career, and he does the best at least to hear some of the hits that I know you know. You might not recognize his face, but you're going to recognize his voice from Tiger and Bunny, Alice Through the Looking Glass. He got a start on Murphy Brown. He's been on the Drew Carey Show, the Power Rangers in Space. But mostly, you might recognize him from The Family Guy, Harvey Birdman, Invader Zim, Higglytown, 
The Garfield Show is Jarn Arbuckle. The Cleveland Show, The Penguins, DC Super Friends, Tales of Captain Underpants. The Transformers. He's also been a voice in a lot of games. The Secret Monkey Island, Star Wars Jedi Fighter, Soul Calibur series. What's that? You need more of a clue? What would you call a seagull's painting? When is a guest like a conundrum? From the Batman, Arkham series, Arkham Knights, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, sometimes known as Edward E. Nigma. This gentleman has played this character more than any other actor. The Prince of Puzzles. The King of Conundrums. That's right. Voice actor extraordinaire, Wally Winger. I know Winger on the seagull art is a stretch, but I'm trying over here. Listen in as I once again am joined by my Saturday morning serial co-host, Dan the Grim Shea, as Wally talks serial, the Riddler, and lots more. Hold on. Let me get that. All right. So tonight's show with Jay Leno. This yeah. is, uh, that's like icon status. I want to hear a little bit about that. Oh, uh, that was an amazing time. Uh, it started when um, uh, Jay was removed from the Tonight Show and it was given to Conan, um, the, guy, the Conan guy, uh, in 2009. And uh, Jay was given his, uh, his own primetime show from 9 to uh, 10, or from 10 to 11, depending on what time zone you were in. And uh, when they were kind of changing up the format, Jay was never really a fan of the in-studio second banana announcer guy that you had to have sit next to you and try and make him laugh. He was, he, he was always under the uh, idea that I'm a comedian. I talk to the audience. I don't need a guy sitting next to me. So they got rid of the, the famous uh, Tonight Show in-studio announcer and just had a voiceover guy do the openings and the, the bumpers and everything. So I went in, did an audition, uh, didn't get it. Uh, so they had another guy doing the voiceover for the uh, uh, test shows. But by the time he went live on the air, they said, well, this guy's not really working out. Let's call that Wally guy back. So I came in and they directed me a couple of different ways and we settled on a way we liked it. And I did that for nine months. And then when, uh, after the, uh, the redheaded guy had, had tanked uh, the Tonight Show by losing basically half the ratings, um, they said, Jay, Jay, please help us. So uh, Jay came back and brought it back up to number one status. And um, and uh, he just kept everything kind of the same way it was from the Jay Leno show, including the uh, voiceover only announcer. And I think I will probably go down in history as being the only Tonight Show announcer ever to only exclusively do the announcing uh, as a voiceover only which I'm very proud of. I love Don Pardo that you never saw him on Saturday Night Live, but you heard his voice in a bunch of stuff. So I got to do uh, comedy bits. I got to do a bunch of character voices on a different bunch of different um, sketches and things, but you uh, never saw me. And I was very specific about, no, I, I don't want to do any on-camera stuff. I, I only want to be voiceover. That's what I was hired for. So that's what I do. So um, it, it was, I remember that, the writer, one of the like, writers oh. came, yeah, one of the writers came in one day and said, uh, hey, uh, you ever want to, you know, be in an on-camera bit? I'm like, nope. And, and it, I, the look on his face was like I called his kid ugly. <laughs> like, well, good. I'm how, glad you saw that because it's dare you kind of the look on my face right now. <laughs> I, I don't understand why you would say, like, you hired me for voice only. No, get that camera out of my face. You uh, are so busy. I'm, I'm a voice guy, and I'm more, more comfortable behind a microphone than I am, you know, uh, doing stuff. And I don't know. I like my anonymity. I like, uh, you know, I like not having to slather crap all over your face and spray stuff in your hair and i don't know it just uh, uh it, all it, right it all right that's fair yeah it suits, suits me better so yeah, well, there, yeah there are a certain gift to be able to not only know exactly how much of a thing you want but to get it and stop there so eh, more right to you. well on purpose i came to work pretty much every day during the four and a half years i was there wearing um a sleeveless shirt uh baseball cap and uh shorts and sandals with the, I never, the final day that the, when we wrapped the show, I, I wore a tuxedo. But up to that point, I was only <laughs> wearing, um, you know, stuff that just would not be camera ready. I didn't want to ever give them the idea that I ever had inclinations to be on camera because uh, there was some history with a former announcer who uh, was, you know, trying to do more on camera stuff. And they're like, well, you know, this is Jay's show. 
And <laughs> so I just like, nope, you know what? I, you hired me to come in and read. I'll do some funny voices for you, and that's fine. But don't ever think that I'm ever going to try and push my way into more on-camera stuff because I know my place. Yeah. And just, as Clint Eastwood used to say, a man's got to know his limitations. So <laughs> I, I knew my limitations. I knew what I wanted, and, uh, you know, it was, all, it was all cool. So. But it was it was a dream job, dream dream come true. Great great people, great working environment, great opportunities, great bits, and uh, did literally hundreds of character voices in uh, over the four and a half years of of doing bits and stuff in addition to the announcer, and uh, it's it's fun, you know. I loved it. What is what is since you use mostly just your voice as your as your tool? What's it like to just build a character from whole cloth? Like, I don't know what they, if they come to you with some certain parameters and you're like, all right, but now this guy's going to have a Brooklyn accent and uh, a wonky eye or I don't, I don't know. What, what, what well, is that like? They, they do. They di- They give you some specs and then they just kind of give you some real bare bones uh, skeleton specs as far as what they want to see in the character. But sometimes you'll throw something else in that they hadn't expected that they go, oh my gosh, that's the guy. That's the missing link. Uh, but I, I, I definitely have a background in stage acting and on camera acting. I just choose, chose not to go that way. Uh, so usually there, there's a lot of physicality, even in a voiceover character, where you're actually physically doing the stuff that you would be doing on camera. It's just that you're doing it in front of a microphone. You let the animators fill in the rest. Uh, but you're still, you know, when, when you're sitting there breathing heavily and seething after a, a fight with Batman, um, you know, I'm literally, you know, hunched over in the studio with my lower jaw extended, you know, and I'm going, <sighs> you know, as if I was really on screen with Batman having just had the, the crap pummeled out of me. So there's there's a lot of physicality that is required because you're not going to hear that in the voice unless you kind of do that. So there is a funny old story about the gal who used to do the voice of Wonder Woman in the old cartoons where the director was just uh, not getting the vibe he wanted out of the Wonder Woman character. So he suggested that she kind of stand uh, astride and put her hands on her hips and do her lines that way. And sure enough, doing that Wonder Woman stance really helped her line reading. Sometimes you just, well, not sometimes, all the time, you have to have that physicality behind you. You mentioned all those different voices and all the voices over the year years how do you come up with how can you still come up with new voices after all these years well everybody has a specific voice print and you can always tell kind of it's that it's the person Uh, hardly anybody can completely completely disguise their voice it's one of the things that i i never embraced about mel blank even though he was one of the greats but i always liked dawes butler he was my favorite and and don messick Mm -hmm. my favorite voice actors because i could always hear mel in the character and that's cool because he was all those characters, but I'm like, yeah, kind of sounds like the same character. Um, you know, that character kind of sounds like that character kind of sounds like that character, but you know, Dawes Butler and uh, Don Messick, who I mentioned, they would completely disappear where sometimes you couldn't even tell that it was Dawes Butler. Like uh, he would go, he would do Yogi Bear. Hey, Yogi Bear. Cause he was doing Art Carney basically. And he was doing Wally Gator, which is Ed Wynn. But then he'd go into Peter Potomacish, Peter Potomacish. And they're like, that's Dawes Butler, but it sounds nothing like Dawes Butler. He just had one of those voices where he could completely disappear in a character and, and, and completely lose, in many cases, his, his own unique voice print, which I thought was really cool. But it's, well, it's fun. It's a challenge, you know. And, and every once in a while, you'll be driving around just goofing around with the radio or, or just, you know, talking out loud or yelling at somebody who cut in front of you. And you'll get some little unique thing that happens in your voice, like, oh, that's kind of cool. I can kind of go with that. Hey, maybe I'll make that, you know, more of a, more of a character, and uh, maybe develop that and put that in the old, uh, the old spice rack. Wait, mm-hmm. hold on. Do uh, all or at least most of your original creations now come from moments of rage? Uh, no. Is that what uh, I'm hearing? The better ones. <laughs> like I completely turn <laughs> into the Riddler when I'm there. I completely turn into the Riddler when I'm driving. <laughs> I'll be driving around in Los Angeles and somebody, you imbecile, I am so much smarter than you. What are you doing on the road? I should crush you. <laughs> That's kind of Wow, I, I would swerve. Uh, well, you know, I, the Riddler would prefer to crash into them, and sometimes you just want to because they're so idiotic. But anyway, 
Uh, so I turn into John Arbuckle from the Garfield show when I talk to my own animals and I turn into the Riddler when I'm driving uh, in Los Angeles traffic. So it's just uh, kind of part. And of you're it. usually alone when you're driving. Uh, yes. Which is makes it even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I can talk about the Riddler for a hot second, um, yeah. you follow some pretty big uh, foots, shoes, um, playing the Riddler after Frank Gorshin. Right. And a couple other voices, John Glover, Michael Bell was the uh, super friends. A couple of good ones come after you, but I want to talk about your performance in Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Origins, Arkham Knights. Uh, that's well over 100 hours of playtime. And you've also got, at least in Arkham Knights, there is 246 clues and riddles to solve. <laughs> wow, so, wow you, uh, you did your homework on that. Uh, well, I've been, I've been playing the game for the last couple of days. So first uh-huh. of all, where Dude. is the first Riddler trophy? No. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all. You will never know, you <laughs> less than clever imbecile. Uh, you were talking about the physicality. How much time are you in the booth to, to do that much, to, to produce that much script for, like, well, say, Arkham Asylum? According to Screen Actors Guild uh, regulations, you're, uh, you're allowed to do no more than four hours. Uh, but, you know, they'll just book multiple sessions. So sometimes some of those things will be, you know, over two or three sessions. Mm-hmm. But uh, those, are, those were really fun because um, the, writer, the writers who write that stuff are so clever that we've actually had to stop the session a few times to actually look up words. And I would be looking at this and the line would be something, you know, obsequious or something. And I'm like, obsequious. Okay. Um, uh, Amanda, what does obsequious mean? <laughs> okay. Well, let's look it up. Cause she didn't know either. So these guys throw these big words and it's kind of fun to have to, Oh, uh, so not only do I get paid and get to be the Riddler, but it's a, a vocabulary enhancement exercise. I get it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Do you, on the other end of the spectrum, do they ever trust you to just like riff a few with such a such a lockdown property? There is no real reason for me to ever do that because the writing is so solid that I pretty much just stick to the page on that. Pretty much the same thing I did with Family Guy is there is really nothing that I could bring to those scripts that weren't already in there, that they were already so brilliant. It's like, you know what? I got nothing. But occasionally you're in a you know TV series or whatever, and you're doing a character that you've done for a couple of seasons, and you just say, you know, I think uh, this character you would do this here, and then the director would say, yeah, let's do a pass, you know, with that, and then you you hope that maybe that's the the take that's chosen. There was an anime show I was on called Tiger and Bunny, which was about two uh, superheroes, mm-hmm. and the one that I played was kind of an aging superhero, and. Once you get the helmet on the character, you can virtually say anything because you no longer have to, you know, adhere to certain lip flaps in the animation. So it's, you know, as long as the helmet is on and the character is on screen, you can pretty much say anything. You don't have to worry about it matching the lip flap. So they gave us a certain um, uh, few luxuries of uh, ad-libbing or improvising, which was pretty fun under the circumstances. So I was, uh, we do one pass uh, as written and then we'd, um, and I'd say, oh, I think I got something here. Can we, can we do a second pass? Can we do an alternate? Yeah, cool, cool. So they'd, they'd roll it and then I do, you know, my version of it. And then it all goes to the editors and the producers and then they can suss it all out and see what they, which one they want to use. But it was really cool to see the show and see that some of my ad libs actually stayed in, <laughs> which was uh pretty rewarding actually yeah it's got to be like seeing yourself on camera i'd imagine uh that's not at all rewarding because uh, <laughs> that's just like oh geez, you know what i'm they... gonna subscribe to that too look what they did to my hair oh my gosh oh my oh it's <laughs> terrible the makeup's terrible oh look at my tongue look at my oh gross but yeah. uh before we get off the riddler though um you've you've arguably played him the most and portrayed him the most more than anybody in animation uh, and that's before we get to your DC, the Lego DC supervillains and Return of the Caped Crusaders, Batman versus Two-Face. Nobody even comes close except for the Corey Michael Smith in Gotham. So I well, want to know. Well, y- you know that I've, I've, I, <laughs> it's funny because I started a list actually last year thinking, have I been the Riddler more than anyone else, I guess? And I, I wasn't really sure how to measure that per, per project or per hours of actual time spent 
as the Riddler, or, or I, I'm not sure the meter by which I would I would gauge that. But yeah, it's it's funny. Great minds think alike. I had, I'd actually thought about that because I'm a huge you know Batman fan since childhood, and I thought, has anybody done this more than me? And then as more and more projects come in, I keep adding to the list, and I'm thinking, eh. and then there was the Gotham guy who did they ever officially call him the Riddler on that show? Um, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. One okay. of the episodes was named how the Riddler got his name. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, uh, to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of that show, but uh, yeah, I, I never watched it either. I figured a, a, um, a show about Batman without Batman was kind of, uh, I don't know, pointless. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, excuse me. Uh, could I have more Batman in this show about Batman, please? Yeah. <laughs> you had me and you lost me real quick on that one. But he, uh, uh, he had the look, he looked really good. Um, I thought he captured the kind of look of the Riddler that really was kind of spot on. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I liked his look. I wasn't really sure. I never had, had seen, you know, him perform or anything, but, um, yeah. So I don't know. So I, so I guess you, you've done more research on this than I, so I guess, well, well I went by, like I said, the hours of playtime of those games and uh-huh. those three and those three movies. So I just added up the total screen time of all that. And then I gave him credit for 84 episodes, which would be about 84 hours. And mm. you come you come over well over on top of that. Wow. So um, so that's not necessarily screen time. I right. Forget, uh, maybe yeah. I'll get back. It to also depends how good a person is at the video game. Exactly. If you suck at the video game, you're never going to find any trophies, and then your your excursions true. with the Riddler are are done. True. True. But yeah, that's so, interesting uh, that you would say that because I always kind of wondered that. That uh, if that's kind of, you know, a badge of honor that uh, I should be proud of or if somebody else is kind of still be to it. Well, you certainly should be. And that kind of is what I want to know. How do you feel about that? I mean, you definitely put your stamp on that character. And not only that character, but the Batman universe itself. I want to know that's that's a pretty high honor, at least for most folks. At least it would be for me. I want to know how that how do you feel about that? Well, it's uh, (laughs) mind blowing. It's it's a dream come true. Dreams really do come true. And uh, I, I, I don't have the voice to ever be Batman, but, you know, to be in the in the um, franchise, in the lore somewhere, somehow is really fantastic to me. And, uh, you know, I was a kid of the 66 series when I was five. And when I was about 12, I found the soundtrack album at Woolworths for a dollar and played the grooves out of it. Remember records, kids with the <laughs> vinyl and needles that you'd put on stylist. And uh, yeah. I listened you know, constantly over and over to that because uh, that particular album had voice clips from the actual TV show on it. Mm-hmm. And I would I would play those over and over and over. And then it's like it finally paid off for my uh, audition as the uh, the Gorshin Riddler because I knew all that stuff kind of by heart. So, you know, the one uh, before you trip over your cape, Batman, riddle me this. There are three men in a boat with four cigarettes, but no matches. How do they manage to smoke? Hmm? <laughs> you know that one? Oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I happen to know that one. I was going to see if uh, Dan knew that one. Yeah, uh, that that was uh, pretty much my audition uh, for that. So <laughs> pretty uh, pretty groovy. So anyway, yeah, it's it's a dream come true just to think that, you know, now I'm part of the lore and, and will always be there. It's like, yep, that's that's pretty darn, pretty darn cool. I should say so. Yeah. I mean, if you can't be Batman be one of his top villains. Yeah. That's that's, that's the next best thing. Slots fill up pretty quick. We used to, Dan and I used to have to get up real early in the morning to fight for a spot on the couch to watch the cartoons on Saturday morning. But before that, we'd have to run into the kitchen and pour ourselves a big bowl of cereal so we can Mm -hmm. enjoy our cartoons. So the two part question is what is your favorite Saturday morning cereal and what's your favorite cartoon as a kid? It depends on the cereal depends on the cartoon. If it's Groovy Ghoulies, which I love, it would have been Frankenberry or Count Chocula. Uh, but I also like uh, Cocoa Krispies, and I also like the Archies. If I'm watching the Archies, I'd have to have Honeycombs because back yeah. – you, yeah. you don't remember this, but back sure. in the old days, Honeycombs and a few other cereals actually had Archies records on the back that you could cut out of the cardboard box, and you could uh, put it on your turntable. Remember records, kids? Needles? Mm-hmm. Silas? And you could actually hear sugar on this little cardboard record that came on the back of a cereal box. So um, it's a tie. Archie's and um, 
Honeycombs or uh, Groovy Ghoulies and uh, Frankenberry, probably. Yeah, I do remember those records. You used to have to put pennies on them to weigh them down. Pennies. Probably a 50-cent piece. <laughs> those, those tone arms would be jumping all over the place. It looked like some sort of wacky cricket that you'd find out on your patio. Yeah, again, different world, Wally. We used pennies in my house. <laughs> well, we use real silver dollars in my house. Lovey, lovey, get to the minnow quick. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, the only record, quote unquote, like that I ever got, I think was a McDonald's giveaway through the Sunday uh, paper or something years ago. Oh. I had no idea that that was something that was in practice. Yeah, I must have well, just be just a little too young. Well, I used to uh, I used I to make my mom buy right. Well, I used to make my mom buy the cereal with a record on back because it said what songs were on the record. So I said, no, I've already got that one. I want to get this one. And <laughs> years years later, not only did I get to produce the DVD box set of the Groovy Ghoulies, which was a dream come true, but I also got to sing a song on a CD now that was on Frankenberry, Booberry, and Count Chocula, because of course they weren't doing records anymore but there was a cd um that was included and i got to actually sing a song that was included in that cd so you get to go to the store and you get to see the cereal box with the little cutout and the cds inside it and you're like, hey i'm on there i i finally made it to a cereal box it's what what, what big time you, uh, what part did you sing uh it was a thing called rhythm and booze and it was <laughs> back in the late 90s and i played uh i did a song called the kids from room oh, oh the haunt of room 402 or whatever, because there was a cartoon on, on uh, Fox family back in the nineties called the kids of room 402 is about some kids in a school, but it was about uh, a That's story right. about how there was a ghost in the school, in the classroom, but it was actually some of the kids putting on a prank. And I, you know, heard the song and I said, okay, what are, what are you thinking about? They said, well, we kind of want it like a monster mash. So if you can do well, okay, I can do. So I said, how about if I do some as, as Boris Karloff? How about if I do some as Peter Lorre, and how about if I do some as as um, as uh, Bela Lugosi? And they said, and I can do some other creature monster sounds in the back, some monsters and and things. So I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. So come to find out uh, that it was going on Frankenberry, Booberry, and Count Chocula, who sound like exactly. Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and <laughs> Peter Lorre. So I'm like, well, that's kind of a cool thing, but that was uh, that was really kind of a neat neat deal. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That, dreams come uh, true, folks. That's, that's the name of the show, Wally Winger. The dreams come true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, favorite uh, cartoon and cereal on uh, mm-hmm. your end? For me, uh, I'm going to have to go uh, Captain Crunch with yeah. berries. Yep. Because I enjoy the destruction. It's uh, often topic that comes up. It, it does a lot of damage to the roof of your mouth. Yep. And I'm going to go probably. Uh, like Hong Kong Fooey. Wow. Uh, I, I not that one doesn't get brought up too much on our show. So yeah, uh, yeah my, that's that's always one of my favorites. Uh, Scatman Crothers did the voice for that right, one, of course. Yeah. One of one of the few favorite things I had in common with my ex-wife when we were very much younger uh, was that we'd buy uh, Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries and take out all the Crunch Berries and just eat those. And then, of course, what do they do years later? All berries. Well, I'm like, oh, you stole my idea. Thanks a lot. Where were you when I needed you? Hey, we have all this Captain Crunch sitting around with no, no Crunch Berries in it because we would have eaten all the Crunch Berries. But we used to sit there and pick them out, you know, one by one, and we'd just have bowls of just Crunch Berries. Delicious. What did you do with the barrels? The, the, did you just toss those? With the what? With the, with the regular Captain Crunch barrels. Did you just toss uh, those? Yeah, they got eaten eventually, but uh, they, they were kind of uh, put back on the back burner to uh, be eaten later because we would you know, get some boxes of Captain Crunch and yeah. Crunch berries. And well, because at that point, you, you little short-sighted freaks, you'd already taken all the berries out. You right. No motivation <laughs> to go back to the – exa- right. uh, you, 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 you messed with nature and you deserve to pay for it. <laughs> well <laughs> – did we mess with nature or did we come up with a really great idea, which got ripped off later for all, Captain Crunch Allberries? When I saw that in the store, you know, 20 years later, I, I, I could not, but my jaw hit the, hit the ground. I'm like, no <laughs> effing way. <laughs> Where have these been all my life? Allberries? Really? Why don't you just bring back the uh, white whale and have vanilla crunch and uh, bring back, uh, you know, um, the orange, uh, the orange Captain Crunch. What was the orange Captain Crunch? What was that character? I forget. It wasn't Quangaroos. It was uh, 
I thought I thought Captain Crunch had like a. Oh my goodness, I got nothing on an orange Captain Crunch. I I might be misremembering. I know that they did vanilla crunch with the white whale. That then they did. Oh, the, maybe the Crunchberry Beast was with the peanut butter. Uh, I remember the peanut butter one. Is it right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't picture the the, the orange one. I, I might be confusing that with. I might be confusing that with Quangaroos when Quisp and Quake had Quangaroos. Do you remember I when feel like I'm deep, getting played here? Deep cuts. <laughs> Do you remember when they turned Quake into a superhero? No. He was a miner, and then he all of a sudden he, he showed up with like a cape, and they tried to make him into a superhero. I'm like, ah, it was pretty much the beginning of the end for old Quake. It's like, nah, it's kind of, I don't know. I remember when you could order the little whirly hat through Quisp, and you could order the Quake helmet. There was an actual flashlight in a in a plastic uh, miner's helmet that was pretty cool with uh, enough proof of purchase seals. But I remember the old days. The first thing my <laughs> had the crap scared out of me as a little kid. My mom bought some cornflakes and on the back was a quick draw McGraw mask that you could cut out and actually, you know, insert tab A into slot B. And you could actually fold this thing together and make a, a quick draw McGraw mask. And it's pictured, actually one of these is pictured in a cereal box premiums book that I have. And I'm like, I thought I was dreaming all this time, but no, it actually existed. And she put that mask on, and uh, the two-year-old me was petrified, and I screamed and ran. She never put the quick drama McGraw mask on again. Now I would pay big money to have one of those for my collection. But, uh, you know, I have I love the cereal box premiums. I have uh, a Woody Woodpecker kazoo, if you remember those. And if you remember anything about Lucky Charms, uh, General Mills cereals had springies for a while. They had Lucky the Leprechaun. They had Underdog, and they had Rocky and Bullwinkle little rubber springies. They look like erasers. They're flat and rubber. But we would take those to school in different colors and trade them and everything. So I'm a big cereal premium nut. They came up with that, but they never once thought to just sell a giant box of Lucky Charms marshmallows. Well, they do. Apparently they, they, they now. never took my or, idea. Or just <laughs> sell the, the, the Crunch Berries, you know, like we – had to do hey apparently years. that one got off the ground that one got i don't know where my box of marshmallows is i'm tired of, i'm tired of whining about it but but if you go right now to amazon and just put in dehydrated marshmallow treat you, you can buy you know close facsimiles thereof and you mm-hmm. can have marshmallows in anything you want now and uh as many as you want you don't have to kind of have okay, okay. 75 percent of cereal and 25 percent more marshmallows it's like okay, my dog. My, do- my dog eating your food. You know, she'll pick all the roasted chicken out and then kind of eat the kibble, but not really. It's like, oh, so it's like. Wonder I where she learned that, Wally. Yeah, from the master <laughs> eating Lucky Charms, picking all the marshmallows out. But go to Amazon right now and put in like dehydrated marshmallow things. You can get you can buy them by the pound bag. Now they're not the um, they're not the old uh, green clovers and yellow moons and pink stars. They're not those, but they're little shapes and they're in different colors and they're pretty clever. Um, and like, I feel like a little those. bit of the magic is is going away as yeah as I the... type dehydrated marshmallow tree <laughs> into the computer. But where is my life going right now? <laughs> right. Well, welcome to the life of a lonely nerd. That's, yeah. Uh... Hey, uh, Wally, did you ever get to? Did uh, Jay Leno ever hear you do his impression of your impression of him? Uh, n- I never did it for him. For him. Uh, he may have seen it on American Dad, but uh, no, I never, I never really <laughs> did it for him because there were really good Frank Caliendo. There were really good impersonators oh, yeah. that would come on the show and actually do Jay, but dress up as Jay. So I'm thinking nothing he's going to hear from me is going to be impressive, impress him at all compared to watching Frank Caliendo completely become Jay. And my friend Dan Roebuck, uh, one of my best friends, who's an actor, he played Jay in that uh, movie called The Late. Ship. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, and uh, he's so and he's he's a friend of Jay's, so Jay's you know seen his version of Jay. But there's nothing more unnerving than actually doing the impersonation of the person you're impersonating mm-hmm. in front of them. Like the time that I would do it with in the presence of Adam West, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was always strange, uh, but but fun. Um, that well, was, did we were Jay on the... ever do his impression of you in front of you? Uh, no, I, I don't. So I don't. He's no better. I don't qualify as uh, being worthy enough to have an impression of, but that's uh, kind of well, cool. anyway, it is, master of self-sabotage. It is. Uh, thank you. It is kind of fun <laughs> to hear people impersonate my Riddler on, on YouTube. I'll, uh, mm-hmm. I'll hit those things every once in a while. It's just fun to, as, as a lifelong impersonator of trying to 
you know, capture character voices to have now somebody try and capture mine is actually kind of, kind of charming actually. So dreams come true. They sure do. Boy, you know, just keep believing. <laughs> well, well you've given me a lot of material for me to work on my own uh, Wally Wingard impression. I thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, get right on that. Will you? <laughs> yeah. I think that last going to be the hook too. Uh huh. oh you're slippery though yep so you never know which laugh is mine and which is a character you just never never really know oh you're disturbed yep well (laughs) most everybody in this town i know who you know enjoys a modicum of success is so it's kind of a kind of part and parcel to doing what we do anybody who's not disturbed would have the common sense to stay you know back in their hometown and <laughs> sell, insur- <laughs> sell insurance like any respect self-respecting person would like any you put up with 46 below and you show up to work sure with your briefcase full of insurance policies and you go out there and try and sell those policies that's what you got to do oh well no uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's been a good life it's been very blessed and i got to be you know not one but two riddlers in the batman lore which is i'm a, i'll always be eternally grateful for and King got Tom. to have a got to have a good run as a couple of uh marvel superheroes and a couple of dc villains and uh owner of a lasagna eating cat and uh a couple transformers and some a care bear doll and a talking this and a that so yeah i'm sure they're like uh children but do any any voices or characters stick out as your favorite well i love i love uh well john arbuckle i love just because he's closer probably to me than anybody else but uh, I do love the Riddler, just the way he chews on those words and just the, the amount of material that they give to him mm-hmm. to uh, to do. I love some of those, you know, really biting into some of those great words with a lot of consonants that they put in the script. So, yeah, those are probably my two favorites. Holy morning cereal. Will the world's greatest voice actor continue to school Jimmy and Dan about classic breakfast treats? Will Wally do his Jay Leno impression? The answer to these and many other terrifying questions after the break. Same POW channel, same POW cast. Get to join us right here every three or four or five-ish weeks or so for Saturday Morning Serial, the podcast that explores the themes of Saturday morning TV, which not only did we all grow up with, they've also been growing up with us. So join Dan Grimshay, Marky, Jimmy the Gent Lazinski, and Johnny Heck, plus a whole host of celebrity guests, cameos, and recipe tips. Viewer discretion is advised because we do sometimes say fuck and fuck and shit and what the fuck. Saturday morning cereal. See you soon. We'll be right back. Um, I can't find the sugar. Alfred. Once again, deploy the bat time dilator, this time back to April of 2017. Prepare the audio while I set the scene a little. While on assignment for Bleeding Cool at WonderCon 2017, I was covering a voice acting panel that featured, among others, Dietrich Bader. I'd like you to know his Batman on The Brave and the Bold is my favorite performance of Batman, of course, after Adam West. And the season finale of The Brave and the Bold is, I think, one of the best series finales ever put out. And I hold that to any show. But like I said, this was my first time covering a convention, so in my inexperience and ignorance afforded me a certain amount of fearlessness. Long story longer, I snuck backstage after the panel and followed the cast into the access hallway. Deep in the underbelly of the Anaheim Convention Center, my son and I acted like we belonged there until we had a chance to act Dietrich for a picture, which 
he graciously agreed to. Then I had one of the coolest, albeit shortest, conversations in my career as a journalist. I present the Hammers of Justice. I'm just going to snap real quick. This is awesome. Thank you very much. Can I get a handshake too? Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I just want to say the last episode of Raven the Bull, best last episode of any series ever. And would you mind reminding me that the Hammers of Justice are out there to keep an eye on us? Oh, the Hammers of Justice are out to keep an eye on us. You are the best. I'm trying to keep it together, man. You're you know, it took me take after take because that was so well written, so heartfelt. Frank. It, it really is. I, I'm so beautiful. I can't watch it without losing oh my it, really. God. That was the first one that Kevin Smith saw. He thought that the show would be too jokey and thought that it's not for him because he's a real Batman fanatic, right. know, which is cool. But uh, then he watched that last episode, and that's what turned him on to the whole series. And i got to imagine he cried. He loved it. Totally. Everybody, everybody's <laughs> yeah, a real yeah. fan of Batman. It gets him. And if, if it doesn't get you, you're not a fan. Yeah, you're actually, that reminds me of the interview that you did with him. Uh, I was Kevin really fun. Yeah, yeah. Had a great yeah. time on the interview. Yeah. What a you, nice you guy. Got, you got him on that crying, too, I believe, right? Yeah. 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 Hey, I, got I know you're busy. I really sure. appreciate your sure. time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. Helicopter, I landed on the roof, and uh, I'll be uh, of Kellogg. Wow. I'll be whipping out my batarang, <laughs> climbing into the. Kind of hard to get rid of that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you put all that in your utility belt. Oh, anything I need. Anything you can Dennis, get. you got the image. You got. You got a. I, I saw one time where you were you were counting the bullets of a machine gun. Do you think it's a trick? No, I've been counting the bullets. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And you whipped out the bat shield. What did you get the bat shield from? From my utility belt. <laughs> Naturally. Of course. Of course. I know I, I have one question, and I think we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty soon. One question. Um, do you know any, any of the background of, of Bob Kane, the creator of Batman? Uh, yes, I know that he's, uh, one day I was doing a show in New Orleans. And uh, I, I brought in, you know, the conductor mm -hmm. and part of the, the key musicians and the yeah. dancers. And, uh, I mean, it was a big show there. Yeah. And we were rehearsing, and I was standing in front of the band, and I was singing something, and dressed as Batman, you know, yeah. kind of a specialty number. Yeah. And th there was a guy down below the stage, which was about six feet high, and every time I'd make a gesture to, to sing something, he would silently mouth it along with me or do the gesture. And it's kept up for about 10 minutes. And really? It got a little, you know, yeah. annoying. And yeah. The guy was really spooky. Yeah. All right, now, I walk off stage, I go backstage, <laughs> and I start to take off my famous cowl, folks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the mask. You do take that off? Well, it's hard to take off. But yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> All yeah. the latex anyway. rubber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pull off the cowl, and suddenly... It's snatched out of my hands. Really? And I turn around, and the guy's grabbing it. And he's <laughs> wrestling it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying Kill to this thing. Kill this thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying it on. He's looking in the mirror, and he's, you know, doing all kinds of poses. Yeah. I say, what, wh who are you? what are you doing? <laughs> Give me that thing. And he says, stop. I'm Bob Kane. No. I created you. Really? <laughs> yes, yes. I who is the hero that we like best? guest before, but this virtuous, vocal, virtuoso discussing his love of puppetry? This is something else entirely. But wait, 
the most horrendous is yet to come. Let's uh, talk about the Muppets. Uh, I know yes. you, you're, you're a big fan of them, and uh, you make a couple of your. I know you've made a, a Grover and a well, Kermit. I, I uh, have wanted to be a Muppeteer since I was about fifth grade, and strangely enough, uh, I used to study all those voices. And uh, my first job on Family Guy was actually impersonating a bird <laughs> from Sesame Street. <laughs> and so it's like, well, you know, it's, you never know what kind of research you do as a kid is going to pay off for you later in life, but. Yeah, I always wanted. I always been interested in puppets, and I always used to do puppet shows. And when I was 19, I decided I'm going to be a Muppeteer. So I I built all the the Muppets the, to the best of my ability, and I would perform the voices. And I made a little video for a radio and TV class project. Got an A, by the way. You know, using some of the puppets, and they would put it on their little closed circuit channel. And I sent it to Henson Associates in New York and said, Hey, here's my demo tape. I'd love to work with you guys. They sent me a cease and desist. <laughs> so the envelope shows up and I'm thinking, oh, it's my job uh, offer. They, they want me to come out and open up. It's like, well, what is this? And I had to take, actually take it to the attorney at the radio station I was working at. And I said, what is this? So, well, it's a cease and desist. They don't want you to do Muppets anymore because they think you're copyright infringing. I'm like, but I'm, I'm just a 19 year old kid in South Dakota. What, what <laughs> you know, threat could I possibly be to the Muppets? Did they not know that this is my audition tape? You know, I was doing shows around at hospitals for kids and shopping malls. Anybody who would watch, I'd do, do Pup Swarm because that's, you know, how you get experience. And then years later, it was explained to me that, well, you know, when look at the date on the, on the cease and desist. And I said, all right, well, 1983, whatever. And they said, the reason you got this from the attorney and not um, an offer from Jim Henson was that Jim never saw your tape. I'm like, oh, that's a drag. How do you know that? Because he was over in the UK working on Dark Crystal at the time. Had your tape been sent a little before that or a little after that, Jim may have seen it and your life might have been different. But eh, you know what? It all worked out. So I'm not uh, I'm not uh, crying over spilled Muppets. Uh, and but, you uh, learn not to screw with the children's television workshop. Good. Yeah, exactly. Well, big boy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, had to, but you know, then I listened to you know guys Muppeteers like uh, Dave Goals, who basically had my life, but his life turned out differently. He's the um, alternative universe me, or I'm the alternative universe Dave Goals, because he he did take classes and he did, but he lived out here and he, you know, had a meeting with Jim Henson and that that would have been my life had I not been stuck in snowy South Dakota. But hey, you know what? It all works out and I'm not I'm not bitter. But I love I love building. I love uh, puppets and I always have, and it's a hobby now. I'm not. There's no way I'm ever going to actually be a real puppeteer, even though I got my SAG card being a puppeteer on uh, Murphy Brown. But yeah, I like uh, I like doing the Muppets, and uh, the original Grover was green. Nobody knows that hardly. Uh, he turned blue after uh, like second season. So I said I'm going to make a green Grover, whose original name was Gleep, and uh, that'll be kind of fun. And a couple other obscure Muppets, and I made a Rolf the dog, and so I made a bunch of puppets. You know, back in 1982, 83, I still have a few of those left. Uh, they're you know close to uh, 40 years old or something now. But I, you know, during the whole lockdown thing, I'm like, yeah, not doing much. I think I'll get the glue out and some fabric and just see if I can still do this. And I made an Oscar the Grouch, which I'm very proud of. So, yeah, it's kind of fun. And are those uh, displayed at Wally World? Uh, yes, Planet Wally World has a puppet room where I have many of them on display. Some of the um, the more deluxe uh, Muppet replicas I have are in my uh, room, my tranquility zone, uh, because I like looking at them and they bring me great peace. But Oscar the Grouch is down in the uh, in the living room here in the theater uh, in his trash can, peeking out uh, at everybody who walks in. It's kind of kind of cool. So yeah, I mean, there's no reason really to make these and not display them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's put them in a closet. That's not my style, but um, yeah. So a lot of fun. Do you collect those as well? Like, do you have any originals from the show, or is that even something that you can get? No, I don't think yeah, those are even things you can get. They keep a yeah. uh, pretty tight lid on those things. It's, you know, kind of like. Uh, yeah. As I said it, I realize that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so like trying to collect, uh, you know, yeah. uh, I got Elvis. one of those Yodas from. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to collect an Elvis costume, you know, right. so like, uh, no, the, the Graceland pretty much has all those. And occasionally Elvis would give one away, but very, very rarely. But, but you yeah. had one. Oh, what? An Elvis costume. You used to, didn't you used to. Uh, Cosplay as Elvis, or was that? Uh... I, I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to do uh, Elvis shows when I was, uh, you know, seventeen going on, uh, going on eighteen, going on nineteen, going on twenty, going on twenty-one. Then I stopped. 
but uh, yeah, I would actually do full, full hour long shows, but then everybody started impersonating him and it didn't become fun anymore. So oh. I was like, man, eh, kind of done because everybody's doing it now. And uh, he was just one of my many characters and I had it on a character composite and I sent it to an agent and I called the agent for a follow-up and he says, oh yeah, you're the Elvis impersonator. There's 19 other characters on that composite and you call me an Elvis impersonator? So I'm thinking, okay, well, Elvis is clearly pulling focus from all the other characters. I think I'm going to remove him from my character composite. So anyway. Well, what did people call you after that? Uh, schmuck. <laughs> See, I was afraid of that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, but it's better than being calling Elvis impersonator, damn it. At least they're calling you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's. it's really hard to get uh, any of that Muppet stuff. Uh, I guess Henson... I did give a few things away from time to time. There's people out there that have original Kermits and stuff, but yeah, they keep a pretty tight lid on all that stuff. So replicas are kind of my thing. I, that's what I like. But the the Kermit, the Gonzo, and the animal that I have, and the Manamana were all made by you know professional puppet builders that look really good. So uh, probably as close to the as to the real thing as you can get. Uh, as uh, as far as the other stuff, I just kind of guess and by gosh. As I look at photos and study, you know, different things and, and patterns in the fur and the different colors and some of that stuff, if you want to replicate it from, say, 1969, 50 years ago, some of that stuff just isn't plain available anymore, you mm -hmm. know, because those those materials aren't aren't even really being made. And that was the problem with trying to replicate one of the 1966 Batman costumes. And once I met Jan Kemp, who created the Batman costumes for the TV series, uh, he was telling me about all the fabrics that they used to use and the... Um, the cowl shell and the gloves and the trunks had to be a stretch satin because they, they all have to stretch around the fingers and around the curvature of the cowl and everything. So while the cape was uh, regular, uh, you know, satin, um, silk, uh, satin, uh, they had to use a stretch jumbo spandex. Well, uh, by 1989, there was very little of that left. They, the manufacturer had stopped making it. Because it was its original intent for being created was used for uh, ladies' girdles. <laughs> uh, and by, by 89, women really weren't wearing girdles anymore. So there was really no reason for the fabric. So I bought up, you know, what was left that I could find. And there's another few people out there that are really clever that can find, you know, dead stock of it laying around somewhere and they can continue to make it. But I think the last few threads of that original fabric is, is long gone, but the same with the Muppets, you know, the stuff that they, the furs that they used to use back then just plain don't exist anymore. They just, just aren't making them. So um, you have to find close facsimiles. So you either have to buy some fur and have it painted the color you want, or you just find something that is going to look close enough to the, the look that you want and, and you call it a day and, just know that you're never going to get the real stuff because it just plain doesn't exist. Right. And you made the the last, in addition to a couple of your own suits, uh, you were one of the first guys to recreate the 66 suit. Uh, well, uh, I always, accurately. I, I always, uh, I always like to say that I'm the original Adam West cosplayer because uh, I don't, I don't know of anybody else that was dressing up as the Adam West Batman before me necessarily, certainly not for, uh, an amateur uh, job, uh, maybe a professional, maybe a studio would have hired, you know, an actor mm -hmm. to go out and do an appearance or something. But as strictly as a fan, I think I'm the original Adam West Batman cosplayer. I'm, I'm thinking uh, because I first met Adam in 1980 and I was looking at his suit, I was looking at his costume going, you know, I could probably make one of those and, you know, see if it'd be kind of cool to have one of those. So I looked at the Viewmaster reels and I was trying to replicate all the stuff. And, you know, a year later, um, uh, in March of 81, after I met Adam, the, the Batmobile was appearing at that year's World of Wheels, though Adam wasn't there. So I said, well, I've got my Batman costume now, and I can go down and maybe get a few shots standing next to the Batmobile. And I walked in, and the place went crazy because I was in my costume. And, and uh, the guy said, hey, you want to sit in the Batmobile? I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> I didn't know that uh, cosplay came with certain benefits like that. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And I got to get into the Batmobile, get some cool pictures taken. And my first attempt at a suit was really quite crap. But, hey, you know, it was charming and it was, you know, it was inventive for being a 19-year-old kid and uh, or 20-year-old kid by then. Uh, you know, You're looking at 
you're looking at that suit through modern eyes. I mean, as that 20 year old kid and probably to most people who saw you that day, I'm pretty sure you were the bomb. Uh, well, I'm correct. And, uh, yeah. y- you know, it was, it was better than, uh, and an ideal, uh, you know, Batman right. helmet, you know, what you could buy. Yeah. What you could get at the time. And it was certainly better than a Ben Cooper cape and mask set, but yeah, it was the, you know, we found some Navy blue coat lining for the, the gloves and the, you know, the, the cowl and the, cape and the trunks and everything and i was uh i was doing what i could and of course the utility belt was tough so i had to kind of improv on that but uh my grandma was a very accomplished seamstress so she helped me make it and um yeah i wore it around town uh, a lot you know going to hospitals and meeting kids and finally i came to la and made a second um costume uh which was a little more accurate and then by the time i made my third one i had met jan kemp and he had told me basically all the secrets of how to how to make it Mm -hmm. so that was my and then i had had like a fourth one made based on the patterns of the actual suits that we had taken from uh, the mark hardeman set that he has so it was right off the patterns of the real ones which was kind of cool and you made the the last one that adam or helped make the last one that adam wore i believe so yeah he they came to me he and his agent uh knowing that i'd you know been working on replicating these costumes and said we want to make one for adam um for this magazine that they were going to do the adam west remembers 30 years of batman so this is 1996 so i remember driving adam in my uh my my lilac colored saturn <laughs> and going down into uh east la to the little boot maker down there and uh to have his boots replicated he brought a pair of his original boots and taking him up to Universal Studios, where I was working at the time, to meet with some of the costumers there to lay out his cape and uh, make a pattern of it. And uh, yeah, so that was that was another dream come true moment where we actually got to, you know, clothe the emperor. You know. Sure, sure. W- was that suit made from the Hardman patterns, or was that? No, I hadn't met I hadn't met Mark at the time, even though Adam's uh, boots and the cape and the trunks were all. And and the bodysuit were actually made from his stuff that he had he had brought me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, his cape was original, his uh, boots were original. Uh, I don't believe the gloves were, and I don't think he brought the cowl because I was already making cowls. But it was it was sure cool to have him bring that stuff and be able to you know make patterns and and trace it. And a lot of people things that people didn't know at the time, little little secrets, little idiosyncrasies in those costumes that. You just look at a picture and you don't really pick it up. People do now because you can blow it up on a big screen on your computer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there was a uh, the zipper in the inside of the bat boots. You just think, all right, well, there's a zipper there, like any zipper in a boot. But it was clever in that it was curved at the bottom. The top was kind of straight. And then as it got closer to the foot, it would curve in, which helped to bring the leather more tightly around the feet. And that was one of those little things that you nuances that you just never comprehended as you were trying to replicate these costumes. Um, also, that the gloves had leather or suede palms. You just think, oh, there's cool satin gloves, and you want to make some satin gloves and put bat wings in them. And then you look at them, oh, there's satin or there's suede palms in there. Um, the same thing with the bat cape. Nobody really knew just by looking at it that as the cape the edges of the cape actually flare out which Mm -hmm. was pretty cool and you never really caught that so it's it's funny that now all of the people in the companies who are making uh 66 related bat toys still haven't you know grokked that you know that property so it's like look if you had just called a couple of the bat nerds who know all this stuff they could have told you look, make the cape flare out, blah, blah, but they haven't. So the, like the hot toys and the Mattel and all the other stuff comes out and the cape's wrong. So it's like in this day and age, how difficult is it to just go online and find the guys who really know this stuff and put those little idiosyncrasies in? It's not all that hard, but oh, well. So that was, that was kind of cool. So that, I mean, when I was a kid, I saw that cowl on the cover of the TV guide in color. That was the first time I had seen Batman in color. We had a black and white TV. And I just sat there and stared at it for the longest time because it was just magical to me. So when I first met Jan Kemp in 1989, he told me who he was. And I was like, oh, my God. And I went to my knees and I went, ah, one of those we're not worthy kind of things. And I said, how did you make that cowl? 
He says, oh, that was, that was easy. It was a fiberglass shell with a thing. I'm like, ah, 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 we have to meet later. I want to know all your secrets. So uh, then we started a friendship after that. So pretty cool. So yeah, you were one of the first guys to un- start to unlock all those secrets. Uh, well, yeah, because nobody basically, nope. nobody <laughs> was, yeah. nobody else was interested in it except, yeah. except me. Um, and, you know, sitting down with Jan Kemp and he basically turned his book over to me of all of his contacts of who he had fabricate this stuff, the dye house where he had all the, the satin dye, the boot maker, the glove maker, you know, all of these places that made all this stuff where he got all the fabrics, international silks and woolens, B. Black and Sons, all these, you know, Michael Faith dry cleaners in Culver City who did the dyeing, all of these great contacts. And I, you know, he still, of course, it was only 69, 79, 89. It was only 20 years since really the show ended. So a lot of those people were, were still around. And I think one of the guys that used to wait on Janet, International Silks and Woolens, named Sapwat, now not only owns International Silks and Woolens, but he's still busy and he's still busy in the day-to-day activities there. So he remembers Jan well. He remembers uh, Bill Tice from Star Trek coming in and buying wacky fabrics for the show back then. And he, had, he has great stories, if you're into costuming at all. But yeah, I was really the only one who tried to unlock those secrets of how do they make the cowl? And oh, it's, it's a hard shell, but there's, you know, jumbo spandex stretched over it, but the jumbo spandex would lose its color over time because the acetate in the jumbo spandex wouldn't hold the blue dye for very long and they'd have to recover them. And it was all these little, little secrets that I was like, I can't believe I'm finding all this stuff out now. This is stuff I've wondered about since I was a kid. What you mentioned your, we mentioned planet Wallywood. You got a pretty big collection of memorabilia, some of your own and some of your uh, famous friends, memorabilia. Is there anything in your collection that you don't have yet that you might like a white whale that you're looking for? Yes. And I'll probably never get it because uh, in my research, I found what's that besides a real Muppet. Well, that, that would be cool. But uh, the thing that I really, really want to make the set complete is one of Andy Kaufman's Lotka coveralls, a pair of Andy Kaufman's Lotka coveralls from taxi, but Paramount had a big blowout sale all those years ago. And they sold, you know, Fonzie's jacket and some of the stuff, you know, from Greece and some of the stuff that you would recognize. But they probably came across these, these ratty white coveralls with grease stains all over them and said, we don't need these, throw them out. Nobody's ever going to buy these. So they're probably all scattered to the wind. But I would love, because I have Andy Kaufman's original performance costume that he appeared in the debut episode of Saturday Night Live. I have Andy's original Elvis costume that he wore, uh, his first of the three that he had made. I have one of his Heartbeeps costumes from the movie Heartbeeps, and I have a um, an Andy Kaufman Tony Clifton uh, mannequin. It's not his original Tony Clifton costume, but it's all era matched. Everything uh-huh. that the mannequin is wearing is exactly from the era that Andy would have worn back in the 70s. So having an Andy Kaufman Latka mannequin would just you know complete the set, which yeah. would be really cool. But uh, probably not going to happen. It's scattered to the wind. I could you know make one that's a replica but it eh, if you can't have the real thing it's you know why bother the tony clifton i said no i gotta have a clifton because that that jacket is really hard to find in and of itself but um i said is that like a salmon tuxedo it was uh, called uh, orange sherbet uh back in the (laughs) 70s they had this particular uh fabric a woven kind of brocade fabric that uh, were on a lot of the sport jackets and tuxedo jackets and everything it was a uh, of a kind of a paisley kind of thing, and they'd uh, run it in a bunch of different colors against a white background. They had it in green and blue and maroon and black and yellow and peach colored. And, and But they had uh, the really hard one to find is the one that he actually used was the orange sherbet color. So it's kind of an orange, but it's so hideous that I think, you know, the black ones and the blue ones are still kind of cool looking. But... Um, so it was uh, fun to finally find one of these after 12 years of searching, and I found not only one but two, one in a slightly smaller size, but one in my size. So I have one that I can wear, but I have one that I put on the on the Tony Clifton mannequin because uh, the orange ones were the ones, the first ones to get tossed out when the 70s were over, and some mm-hmm. of these tuck shops were like, oh, yeah, this is hideous. Get rid of it. And we keep the blue ones. They're still kind of nice. The black ones are nice, but all those, these orange are hideous, which is why Andy bought it for that character in the first place was because it was so hideous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Why, why is it always the ugly clothes that get thrown away? Exactly. And that's always the stuff I like. But I did want to say, uh, Wally, it was awesome talking to you. Same here. Uh, we usually don't get to have such a personable chat for so long. So <laughs> yeah, oh, I do time. go on. Oh, no. I, it's been fine with me. I've just been laying here in the pool. It's been great. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, have a drink for me. <laughs> All right, so uh, so thank you again, Wally. Uh, Jimmy, I'll talk to you in a little bit. Uh, All righty, buddy. You know what? You boys keep your damn noses clean. You too. And, which is easy to do in the pool. Don't pee in the pool. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you, Wally. I really appreciate your time. Um, I know you're a busy guy. Uh, will you take care of yourself, man? Have a great night. Stay cool. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. I hope so. Thanks. See you, Jimmy. Thank you, buddy. Well, guys and gals, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of the Powcast. Thank you so much, Wally Wingert, for being so generous with your time. So often we only get a chance to interview someone, and it is mostly Q&A. I felt like this was a genuine conversation. I used a little clip of Wally's first interview with Adam West from way back on March 1st, 1980, when he worked at a radio station KELO AM 1320 in Sioux Falls. I love it because it highlights a young Wally barely able to contain his glee chatting with his idol. I love it because that's how I still feel when I get a chance to talk with big-time celebrities like Wally. Sometimes it's really hard to maintain my composure and not just go all Chris Farley on him. Do you remember that time when you told Batman, Wrong, wrong, wrong again, Batman? (laughs) That was cool. Well, anyway, until Wally joins us again, you can follow him on Twitter at Wally Wingert. You can check out his website, wallyontheweb.com. I also want to say thanks to Dietrich Bader for taking the time all those years ago. If you're listening, I'd love to have you on and further discuss The Dark Knight or whatever you want to discuss. If you're interested, I've put links to the full Wally Wingert and Adam West interview and the Adam West song in our show notes. You can follow us and say hi on the socials at RetroCoolNerd. Why not give our YouTube channel a chance, Retro Cool Nerd? I bet there's something there you'll like. Stop by RetroCoolNerd.com on your daily interweb travels, and feel free to drop me an email. That address is Jimmy at RetroCoolNerd.com. Music samples from the Flying Horse Big Band and the Batman soundtrack by Nelson Riddle and Neil Hefty, Adam West, 89. Is credited to Wally Wingert and the Caped Club. This episode's guest voices include Grayson and Jimmy Lazinski and Scott Sebring. Episode 4 of the Powcast has been written and recorded and produced by me, Jimmy the Gent, in Wayne Study Studios for Saturday Morning Serial Productions. Tune in next time. Same Pow Channel, same Powcast. You ready to get out of here, Wally? Like I always say, uh, I used to have voices in my head, but then I got them all jobs. To the Batmobile! Yes! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.